Hello and welcome to Hand to Hand, Heart to Heart, a show where we democratise the aesthetics of fighting games by decoupling them from the stresses of mandatory competition and the strains of electronic sports. Our shiny new theme song was composed by a friend of the show, Hazel, and you can find her other amazing work at twitter.com slash twinkleparks. Hey, Arma, how you doing? Uh, I've been better, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, I, so I gather. So yeah. I gather. Life has been better, but you know what? Fighting games, they're still incredibly good. Hell yeah! Even even when you're having a bad time, you can you can pull up a fighting game, have a couple of fights, and then maybe you get beaten up. Maybe you don't, but yeah, you you pull up your steam, you feel a little better. Awesome. And we have a very good fighting game here today. Hell yeah, we do. But before we get onto that, yeah, what have you been doing recently in the in the vein of fighting games? Well, I've been going back to my locals a lot more. Hell yeah! Support your locals, everybody. Support your locals. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to play offline. Uh, the only problem with that is that I kind of got used to playing offline and now like I never play online, which is yeah. bad because I should do some solo practice and actually, you know, practice things instead of, uh, being a deer in the headlights every single time I go there. Well, you see, I'm terrible for that because now that I have this regularly accessible local, they run like twice a week. So mm-hmm. I, I never play online anymore because I just, I can't, I can't bear it. <laughs> I, when I'm at home by myself, I like, I practice in the lab and stuff, but I, I never, I never go online because I just, I just drop all my combos because the delay is so substantial. Like I was dropping a bunch of combos in the, uh, the games we were playing just now and I, I, I will go to my grave saying that it was because of the, the online delay. <laughs> I'm so used to playing offline. Yeah, it's hard to get used to again. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of um, your locals, I heard that you had a big tournament recently. Yes, so this is my big fighting games news. On September the 21st, which was originally before uh, after this podcast was due to be recorded, but because real life got in the way is now since it, it was now a while ago. <laughs> Time uh-huh. time's hard. Uh, I ra- I helped run uh, Liverpool's very first uh, regional. It's not quite a major yet. We'll call it a regional mm-hmm. regional fighting game tournament called Drowning Pools, which is a name that I came up with and I was quite proud of. Uh, <laughs> so we went to the Britannia Adelphi Hotel, mm-hmm. which is uh, near the the station in Liverpool, and we got this big conference hall and. 137 people came that's a lot yeah way more than we were expecting so we had precisely 64 for tekken which got us just <laughs> just into the uh the tier 3 tekken world tour dojo which is great mm-hmm. that means the winner got a bunch of points everyone you know big big tournament big prize pot that was cool yep and then surprising everybody the second biggest tournament was uh guilty gear rev 2 so that was awesome. We had thirty-five for Guilty Gear Rev Two, which is huge. Like yeah. all of the, all of the, uh, everyone basically everyone who in the north of England who is still playing Guilty Gear came to that tournament. So you had it was basically a national championship. Like we had the, uh, <laughs> like we had the the three best players in the country were all there, and all of the people around them were were there too. It's like it was it was absolutely wild. Like. Uh, that nude game's doing a lot for the interest of that series, huh? Yeah, totally. Also, I don't know. It's just been a. It's been a very. It's been a very historically strong game in the United Kingdom. I think mm. when people were, you know, doing their their sort of grand exodus from Street Fighter Five, I think uh, Guilty Gear was there to pick them up. And also, like um, its similarities to King of Fighters mean that the King of Fighters community, since they didn't really like King of Fighters fourteen, ah, uh, they they were into Guilty Gear too. So it has a lot of uh, a lot of like 
legacy talent, if not necessarily legacy skill, I guess. And it, yeah. yeah, absolutely fantastic top four for that, uh, including a really great clip, which I guess I'll try and find a way to link in the uh, in the the podcast's like supplementary text or whatever. But yep. uh, so BP Tank, this Milia player, was playing against uh, was playing Larko, a Faust player. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Milia in Guilty Gear, she has the second lowest health value in the game. And yep. so she has Larko stuck in the corner, beating him up, beating him up, like tons of uh, tons of pressure, tons of aggro. And then Larko does a wake-up super. So Faust has this wake-up super where you get to play a, <laughs> a sliding cup game with like three of the cups have devils in them. One of them has an angel in them. If you pick the, the little cherub, uh, you take very little damage. And if you pick the little death Grim Reaper thing, uh, you take a bunch of damage. And I think it's if you pick the black Grim Reaper, you take a bunch of damage mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. a lot of damage. So, BP Tank picked wrong, got hit by the, the strongest version of this Faust Super, <laughs> and it did 75% of his health in one go after he'd been pressuring Marco for a solid 35 seconds. It was... it was, pr- And then he lost. It was pretty short. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible. So then we also had Undernight. Undernight had about 20, 25, 26. That was real good. And we also had Street Fighter V, Street Fighter II Turbo, Mortal Kombat 11, and Blaze Blue Central Fiction for a little blaster in the past. It yeah, was... people still play that game. Yeah, right. I know. I was surprised too. More than Mortal Kombat 11, interestingly. Although we had uh, we were running it on the same day as like this uh, apparently this big netplay event, which was mm-hmm. drawing a bunch of people who said they were going to come. But yeah. I digress. The big takeaway from Drowning Pools is that it's very much a build it and they will come situation. People are like the sort of uh, the local fighting game scene in the UK at the moment is sort of undernourished, as it were. There are some scenes that are closing down and that kind of thing. And we've managed to sort of stumble our way into this 140 player event, despite, you know, not really, not any like real expertise on the issue. So, like, right. I'm feeling good about the FGC, is what I'm going to say. It's, yeah, you're building your own little good. community out there. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. I mean, I, I, I my soul is tired now, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was a good laugh. Yeah, a lot of the spaces community building, and um, the communities are way smaller than you'd think. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're sort of uh, people like like to talk about their local FGC as though it's fragile, and it can feel weird to go there and sort of consider it as that. But like when these things are undersupported, you can really feel it. That's mm. why people think about it that way. Yeah, and like compared to like all, lots of other gaming spaces, like I was surprised at how small the numbers of people's and like followers mm. and social media presence stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are compared to like you know other streamers or other games that other people yeah. play. Like, you know, you can find the you, multiple fighting gamers for which the uh, the best player in the world, like, you know, the best uh, Undernight players in the world only have, like, you know, one, one and a half thousand Twitter followers. It's not like you're, you're smashers who have got, you know, hundreds of thousands and stuff like that. Right. It's like, it's kind of incredible. Um, yeah. It's, it's, but it's it tends to be pretty tight-knit because of that. Right, exactly. That's it's sort of is the uh, the FGC absolutely has this community, uh, this reputation as being grassroots, and that's one of the ways in which that manifests itself, I guess. Yep. Even the bigger tournaments still have like a lot of that grassroots history. Right. Exactly. So speaking of community building, what have you been building, Armor? <laughs> Segway. Ah. So, I have been building some controllers. Oh yeah, what kinds of controllers? 
so these are arcade controllers. A lot of people, uh, a lot of bi- a big part of the fighting games is um, figuring out kind of your controller, customizing mm. it. Very much sort of similar to you know, a little bit into like the PC culture, yeah, PC right. building like culture, of... things like that. Yeah, um, a little less expensive to get into. Yeah, it's 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 less expensive, but also much more useless. You you definitely can't do yeah. anything but fight with a fight stick. You can you can play like a select few other video games, but that's kind of it. Yeah, pretty much. But you know, it's a lot of fun, and you can learn a lot. So that's yeah, what I've been totally. doing over the last year and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it started a while ago. I bought kind of the Mad Cats TE2 Plus, which is like you know a pretty standard arcade stick. Yeah, that was the. Uh, it was very much the like it was the stock one. Like if you, it, was, yeah. it was a sort of mid grade nice arcade stick for for Street Fighter, you know. Yeah, and so that one you can open it up. It's pretty easy to open up, and they have like um, an emphasis on customizability. Mm-hmm. So you can pop out the buttons, you can change out the joystick, and you can easily get through the art. So you know, I kind of immediately customized it with my, with some Sonic art. Hell yeah! Um, and then I was like, well, what else can I do with these things? And then <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole, I'm pretty much as far as you can go, I guess. <laughs> um, so after that, I bought a custom case, you know, custom buttons. I built a thing from. Well, not from scratch, because, uh, you know, the case was pre-made and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bought all the parts. I assembled them. I learned how to wire them. Um, yeah, and then yeah. after that, I decided, hey, since I play on a hitbox, which is sort of like the middle ground between, like, say, a keyboard and an arcade stick, a traditional arcade stick, it replaces yeah. the joystick with buttons, basically. Yeah, it's like uh, it's instead of you know your uh, your keyboard keys, which can be variable in size, quality, shape, that kind of thing. You replace those with uh, arcade style buttons, right? So mm-hmm. you get big, circular, satisfying to hit buttons to move with, as well as to attack with. So yeah, I play since uh, fighting games are like pretty much all digital inputs. Uh, you know, discounting like Smash Brothers. Hmm. And they only really use eight directions. That really makes it a lot easier to do yeah, like, cleaner yeah. inputs. Because there's kind of a little give to um, using traditional joysticks and stuff like that. So you can mess up the inputs a little bit. Um, which, uh, you know, it really is just preference and you can get used to it. But I kind of just, I played a lot of fighting games on a PC as a kid. So that kind of worked for me. Yeah, yeah it's it's definitely, if you've like, if you've played fighting games on a, key, a keyboard and are like but like found that it was a bit too sort of flimsy to mm-hmm. to actually do I and mean, like it's difficult to take a keyboard to a local to play with right a hitbox right, is a very yeah. interesting like it's a, it's a neat choice for if you're used to that kind of uh, control mm-hmm. and now they even have kind of like mix boxes which are yeah yeah there's all kinds basic, of ones going yeah around. instead of um instead of the regular it's basically regular arcade buttons so you still have those big round surfaces to hit but they replaced the movement keys with W, A, S, and D style layout. Yeah, nice. Of actual keyboard keys. Yeah. And then you can customize all the switches and stuff. Um, but yeah, one of the big problems with the hitbox is that like, it's not that good for other types of games. Yeah, yeah. You really, you really are buying it for playing fighting games and arcade style games because uh, yeah, you, know, you don't have an analog controller. You don't. Oh, and the 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 standard for the hitbox is that the uh, up and down are flipped. Yeah, so uses like uh, the regular buttons are kind of AS and D style, so left, down, right, and then yeah. there's a big sort of spacebar-ish placed button for jumping, mm-hmm. 
so you like hit less accidental jumps. Yeah, that's what I always found. Like I've, uh, you know, at locals, people have had hitboxes, and I've sort of have fiddled with them, and I found the two things that I found meant that that, that communicated to me that I was probably not going to enjoy using hitbox was I found swapping up and down in my head to be very confusing. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like it's stylized like a jump button, right? Rather than yeah. an up button. You have to think of it kind of like a space bar. Right, yeah. Button. But like Other- you know, otherwise you, uh... it's like kind of throws you off. Yeah, exactly. So that was that was sort of very confusing to get my head around. And also, um I found so I found doing like motion inputs, like, you know, mm-hmm. guilty gears fiddly half circle yep. and then tap forward or yep. you know, all that stuff. I found that a lot easier. I found moving a lot harder. Like right, yeah, it takes a while dashing, for your brain to adjust. adjust moving, to it. like like sort of walking forwards and backwards. It, it, it like I, I guess I did, wouldn't say that I found my. I mean, my brain did take time to adjust to it, but mostly it was that after a while my fingers really hurt. <laughs> Whereas sort of the like the physicality of moving a, a joystick, I you know find much easier both on my brain and on my hands. Yeah, it's really where you're putting the pressure and how your hands adjust to that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, not having kind of like an up button that's up makes it kind of difficult to play stuff like, say, um, shoot 'em ups, things like yeah, that. Yeah, right. And I kind of wanted to have something portable that I could use for all kinds of games since I can also connect it to like Super Nintendos and stuff like that and play those kinds of games. Mm-hmm. So what I decided is. Even though I already had a hitbox, oh, it's time to build my own with a combination of W, A, S, and D style keys <laughs> and the hitbox button so I can have optimal play for all of them. Gotta be optimal, baby. <laughs> yep. And uh, let me preface this by saying I am not good enough for any of this to matter. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, right? That's our point is that whether it matters, like, it matters if it matters to you, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter whether you're good, it doesn't matter whether you're bad. As long as you have the controller that you're comfortable playing with, that's that's the ideal. That's what you want. Yep. So I, so I started on a big year-long quest to kind of develop the skills and buy all the tools to build it. Yeah. Uh, I built a really cheap case from some stuff I got at Goodwill. I fucked that up bad. Uh, I learned <laughs> a lot of lessons of things not to do. And then finally, I found a nice wood box, built one out of that one, made my own custom layout where I like. Um, so another thing is that like arcade sticks, they typically put your like trigger buttons all the way at the end. So you have to kind of like reach your mm, pinky yeah, yeah. over. And I was like, no, you know what? <laughs> Let me, so while I'm already messing with this layout, why don't I switch the trigger buttons to the sides where my thumb is going to be anyway? So I can hold those down. Yeah. And then make those even better for playing other types of games. So I developed some really weird layout. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to talk too much about that because, you know, you'll... I made some videos on it and it's probably easier to understand it in pictures. Probably drop those in the show notes. But yeah, so I developed a sort of like a weird WACD and hitbox style layout with... The six main buttons all on your fingers so you don't need to move them and then uh, like tertiary buttons next to the jump button so you can hit them with your thumbs um so i built one out of wood that one was okay that one actually was interesting because instead of using the normal you can usually just buy like um pre-made pcbs the things that like basically tell the console what your inputs are 
Um, but mm. instead, I decided that I needed to make it more difficult for myself. <laughs> and I uh, basically took apart a wireless controller and then learned to solder wires to it to kind yeah. of map my own controls onto it. Yeah, okay. So I ended up doing that. And then I ended up building... Um, that was actually going to be the original I was going to talk about on this episode. And then our schedule kind of got pushed back a lot. And then in the meantime, I built another one. You made another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always be as on your bullshit as this. Yep. It's a little bit nicer. Um, I treat the layout a little bit. I got a proper um, wireless PCB since that one just came out. Mm-hmm. So now I can connect wirelessly to everything. Um, added some LEDs because, you know, if you're going to go in, why don't you go all in? Yeah. And I made some custom art, which I like cut so that you can kind of see through the top into the actual case itself. Um, yeah, I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of things about um, electronics and a lot of things about electrical work, which like has in turn made me more interested in like electrical engineering stuff which is kind of a backwards way to get into it (laughs) like usually you get the experience with you know how electricity and switches work first and then you learn how to put something together with it oh see i always i always end up going the other way it's always like half of the stuff i learn i find i learn by wanting to do something that requires me to know how to do it so yeah like, pretty much yeah sort of... like when you're building a computer you kind of be like well this goes in here and like but why yeah and then you figure out why well i don't know i don't know what the state of uh, pc building tutorials is like these days but you know sort of pretty ten, easy ten, 10 years ago the the tutorials were i mean they were there but like i don't know quite often when you're building a computer you don't have a computer to look at the tutorial on so <laughs> yeah the manual the manuals are decent and uh there's a lot more resources for stuff like this yeah yeah especially so um i 10 years ago no way i could have built this (laughs) yeah yeah for sure because just the process of like seeing somebody solder things um which is basically like it's using metal as glue basically yeah yeah (laughs) you just melt some metal and then you kind of attach it and then since it's metal it's um conductive and then it immediately kind of uh hardens back yeah, it's like, um, I'm trying to think as well, because one of the reasons that you uh, it might have been more difficult to build 10 years ago as well is that I think the uh, the sort of the circuitry on those controllers was like the standard required for, for example, the PS3 was mm-hmm. like, I think, I, I want to say it was more, more proprietary, maybe? I'm not sure when companies like UFB, who make this a, a universal con- yeah, Brooke console makes like- PCB, yeah, I'm not sure when companies like UFB and Brook started operating yeah, in that the, capacity. The Brook makes but... like the universal fight board. Oh, okay, right, sure. Yeah, and they make the wireless one and like all that stuff. Um cuz they there used to be like a lot of going back to that community thing. A lot of the people who selling these were just like dudes out of working out of their garage and then shipping mm, them to like yeah, yeah. larger retailers who would sell them. Like even if you go to larger um shops for like arcade buttons and stuff like if you look at amount of stock they're doing they're not dealing with like huge amounts because mm, this yeah, is pretty yeah. niche things like yeah, if you go really to niche, focus yeah. attack which is like one of the big retailers for arcade buttons they'll have like maybe 16 <laughs> of like a yeah. certain color of button on hand at any moment and stuff like that yeah it's so like, uh, i think the the big arcade parts supplier 
for uh, the the one that you would use if if you, mm-hmm. the one that you would get recommended in the UK. I think like most of their business is supplying people who are servicing you know actual arcade cabs rather than hobbyists. But uh, well, yeah, rather than fighting games hobbyists. But uh, yeah, but they there used to be just like you know PCBs that would be like handmade by some person and then you yeah would buy them yeah off maybe even a forum. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, if you can design a PCB, you can just get it printed at a website at almost no cost. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's pre-made solutions that are way easier to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you don't even you don't you really don't need to learn how to solder or do anything. You can kind of just mm. plug everything in like a. Yeah, all of the uh, all of the changes, all of the changes that I made to my arcade stick were all plug-in. Like I haven't, I didn't need to solder anything. I didn't even need to uh, unscrew much of anything outside of the mm-hmm. chassis. Yep. So it's a pretty fun hobby to get into, but mm, you know, totally. uh, don't feel like you ever need to do any of this. Yeah, no, totally. It's a, it's very much a you know extension exercise, I guess, if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a niche within a niche. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Although I would recommend if you if you're uh, you know if you're playing fighting games regularly and you can find somebody who has one, I would recommend trying like an arcade stick. I'd recommend trying a hitbox. If you know someone with a mix box, I'd recommend trying that. Just to right. see what other ways there are to uh, to control these games and feel like mm-hmm. you might be more comfortable with. It is a shame that uh, like using an arcade stick is gated behind the price of an arcade stick. But yeah, uh, uh, it's because they're they're not they're not cheap, but they are they're cool to use. Like I got I got a decently cheap one, and that was still like eighty quid. That's all. Yeah, you know. eighty bucks is about the entry point for like a good um, arcade quality yeah. arcade stick. That has the nice buttons and the space that you want. So, you know, that is a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but anyway, speaking of niches. We got we got anime news. Anime news, baby. <laughs> yep, we got some anime games here. So uh, since the uh, our last episode where we talked about the uh, Guilty Gear 2020 trailer that they screened uh-huh. at EVO, there have been two more two more i think yeah yeah they there have been off. two more so there was yeah there was the first one where he had a bit a, a longer fight between kai kisuke and soul bad guy showed off mm. the the game's wild new animation style which is is just well i i don't i don't know what to think about it it's it's just distressingly nice i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and then they teased May a little bit. Yeah, so at the end they teased May, who is uh, if you if you're not familiar with Guilty Gear, is uh, Guilty Gear's um, young Japanese pirate. She she's a she's a pirate. She she twats people with a huge anchor. That's that's her deal. She swings yep, her a big anchor's anchor like around. Probably three times as big as her. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Also, oh, she uh, she summons a uh, sea life as well. She has. Oh yeah, right. You can... can drop like whole whales on people. As yeah, well. exactly, exactly. One of her moves has an otter like spike a little beach ball for you. Yep. So yeah, she was teased at the end of the Soul and Kai trailer, and then she got her own trailer this past weekend at Sea Otaku. Yep. Uh, which looked cool. Showed off her her new style. She's continuing this theme of the sort of fantasy streetwear that we've seen so far. That looks looks really really cool. She's got this yep. this big old hoodie looks awesome and then at the end of that trailer uh there was a a teaser of another character uh axel lowe from who has been in many previous guilty gear games again if you're not familiar with guilty gear axel lowe is a uh time traveler he he, he travels through (laughs) time talking about the story yeah i'm trying to figure out exactly how much of it i should go into because there's a lot uh, Alex tra- uh, Axel Lowe travels in time. He attacks with like 
sort of little sides on the ends of chains and yep. uh, he, he looks used like... to wear jorts he used to wear jorts uh, uh he doesn't anymore he, he has, has pants sort of... now everybody was freaking pants. out about how he has pants now yeah he has, he has a sort of plaid bomber jacket thing now but he's hasn't gotten rid of his uh his bandana which appears to be the finnish flag so this man kind of looks like bandit keith from Yu-Gi-Oh. He does a bit, except <laughs> if Bandit Keith's thing was instead of the U.S. was uh, the United Kingdom because he has I a guess. Big, he has a big Union Jack flag around his waist in Exit yep. for some reason. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know if the U.K. exists in the world of guilty. <laughs> well, Japan does, so I'd hope the U.K. does. But I'll I'll save the guilty gear law dump for the guilty gear episode. It's yeah, coming. Right, it's definitely coming. <laughs> so, it's inevitable. Uh, exactly. So yeah. May is looking cool, and Axel, the uh, the trailer for uh, if you're interested in seeing more about Guilds Gear 2020, or indeed Axel Low, I think the next trailer is at uh, Southeast Asia Major, which is in a couple weeks. So, yep, they've been steadily kind of building hype for this thing, and that game's yeah. coming out a lot sooner than I thought. Yeah, I mean it's it's not that soon. It's like it's it's so it's yeah it's sooner than I expected. Uh, like mm. I expected it to be not next year but the year after but it is going to be next year however they haven't said when next year so it yeah, could be so it over still a year could be anywhere comes out but yep. that's okay we've got plenty of games to tide us over until then including grand blue fantasy versus for which there was another trailer recently yep, that is sure. going to be next year like yeah uh, that is that's february january? next year february. february i'm 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 hype i'm very excited about grand blue fantasy versus i do i do like the aesthetic of it a lot yeah it looks it looks absolutely gorgeous and uh it's like sort of a pastel painting aesthetic yeah yeah to it. it's uh it's it's they've done that thing again where they have this very impressive expressive art style that they show off in rev 2 and then they mm-hmm. marry it with grand blue fantasy's fantastic pencil style Yep. Uh, to just create this really good effect. So, I'm not even sure if this trailer was screened at an event, but uh, Grand Fantasy Versus had a trailer for Meteora. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The uh, Well, you're the, you're the lore expert. I'm the expert. Grand I am the local expert, but I, 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 I must confess I play with the voices off, so I don't hear how the characters pronounce each other's names. I'll get it right next time, I promise. So yeah, uh, Meteora... Um, Matera's deal is so she's like a bow and arrow character. Uh, she can fly. She she can just fly. Like flying isn't just normal. Fly. Flying isn't a normal thing in uh, in yeah. It's usually a, it's unless usually you have thing wings. You have to do. Unless yeah. you have wings, but and there are quite a lot of people with wings. A lot of angels. A lot of like dragon people. Matera right. can just fly because I don't know magic or something. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think so. Her deal is that she was from an island which was a very traditionally, uh, like a very traditional place, where she was gonna be. She was told like she was gonna have to, you know, get married young and be a be a housewife. And she was just like, ah, I'm not interested in that, and flew away and got really good at <laughs> archery or some shit. And now, you know, she's in this video game. Uh, and yep. yeah, she she looks real cool, and it's. Really interesting to see her actually because uh, the majority of the characters that we've seen so far have been very sort of short range or like mid range with long pokey sword attacks. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, Catalina has this sort of uh, knight style, uh, as does this uh, Percival, who was another character that was previewed. Whereas yeah. Matera is full on full screen bow zoning. So it's it's good to see the kinds of play experiences that we can look forward to in that game broadening. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. I can't wait till everybody uh, complains about her online the way they did with Hell yeah. and Dead and uh what was this Deathstroke <laughs> in Injustice? Yeah, yeah, Deathstroke. Yeah. Was it Deadshot maybe? I, I think they're can't. they were different between each games. I think yeah. one was in one game was Injustice One and then others was Injustice Two. Point is Injustice got hella zoning and people online do not like that shit, which is no. yeah. So uh, we'll see because Grand Blue Fantasy is very much targeting a yes. more casual audience. Yes. I hadn't thought about that. Intentionally, that is true. Grand Blue Fantasy is definitely it's appealing to a brand new like uh, market sector, I guess. Because yeah. the, the they're getting all the people RPG, from the Mobage. Yeah, the uh, the mobile wife collecting game does not traditionally intersect with the uh, the audience for fighting games at least that much. Like I've met a lot of people in fighting games who play these mobile wife games, and I'm now one of them. But uh, <laughs> they sure I, got you with this one. Yeah, they they got me. They they knew ex- they knew exactly what they were doing. They saw me coming a mile away. But um, yeah. Oh, another thing is that if you're uh, if you're curious, like. I would recommend watching this trailer because it has it has big bayonetta vibes, like uh, because she can fly, her shoes don't make sense. Like she's <laughs> wearing she's wearing boots that converge in like a like a foot long spike in the center, <laughs> not at, not at the heel in the center. So like right. because she never has to actually stand up because she just flies yep. everywhere. So she's wearing these completely nonsensical shoes. It's quite funny. <laughs> yeah there's some wild designs in that series yeah absolutely absolutely i can't wait to see them all put in that game <laughs> or, you know. yeah so yeah i guess that's the uh unless we're missing anything i guess that's the news huh yeah but uh yeah speaking of very wild games and wild Hell designs yeah. we got the wildest game wildest game out there baby it's time to talk yeah. about undernight yep Undernight's back. I mean, we've talked. I feel like we've talked about it so much already. Hell yeah! Now we're gonna talk that, about it for ages. Yep, we've said so much about it on previous episodes, so now we're just gonna get it all out. So, Undernight, as I have mentioned a bunch of times on this podcast, Undernight is my favorite fighting game. It's, yeah, it's it's close between Undernight and a few other games, but Undernight is unquestionably my favorite. Sell me on Undernight, Curly. Okay, so I spent some time thinking about this, uh, and the most concise I could make it before we launch into the hour-long exploration of why this game is so great. So <laughs> Undernight is it's like a, a dark magic high school anime sponsored by Hot Topic, right? Mm-hmm. So we have all of these anime teens. And a, f- a few anime 20-somethings, I guess. Uh, yeah, some of them look like they're 40 years old, but apparently they're teens. The, uh, the, game is, the game is loose on the actual ages of these characters, probably intentionally. But uh, it, yeah, the, the point uh, is that most of, them are stylized as, most of them are stylized as teens and meant to be read uh-huh. as teens. And a few of them are stylized as adults, young adults, and are meant to be read as such. And so you have all of these people... Uh, the the conceit is that every so often, something bad happens called the the hollow <laughs> the hollow night, 
which I, I, I imagine has uh, analogs in mm-hmm. Persona, but I haven't played those video games. so Yeah, it's like the Midnight sure. Hour or something. Sure, I believe you. So, Midnight uh, Hour? I don't know. I yeah. forgot what it's called. The Dark Hour? That Tartarus thing? Something, you know, there's a couple of them. There's a couple analogs in Persona. Yeah, so it's that. And uh, what, what these, uh, these creatures called Voids, which are like yep. know, monsters, <laughs> just, just, you know, monsters, uh, appear and if you get if you get attacked by a void but don't die uh, you become mm-hmm. what's called an inbirth and inbirths have magical powers <laughs> uh, if you want unless to... you become one of the other ones yeah exactly yeah you, so well, you, if you if you now if you do die you become a void right I think is Merkava a void Merkava is a void yes so we'll we'll get on to Merkava Merkava's a, a a character a playable character in this game. We'll get mm-hmm. on to him. So, so just to contextualize Undernight, now that I've now that I've said a load of words that might endear you to the idea of this game, let's zoom out a bit and talk about mm-hmm. how Undernight fits into this tapestry that we're very slowly building, starting with Street Fighter V and Sailor Moon S. Right. So the important thing to know about Undernight, I guess, is that it is an anime fighting game, like sort of. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say it's it's pretty categorically an anime fighting game. It has yeah, a, I guess it it's, an an, the... it's, it's an anime fighting game, but it's not an air dashing anime fighting game, which right, usually yeah. goes right together. So it's not it's yeah it's got, it, that's one of the one of the things that we're going to talk about that is so good about Undernight is that it lacks uh, a couple of the things that traditionally make anime fighting games so inaccessible. But we'll we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. So if we imagine this world where you've played Street Fighter V, you know about Street Fighter V, and you've played Sailor Moon S and you know about Sailor Moon S, we were sort of, I think we may have sort of hinted at the idea of the anime fighting game when we were talking about Sailor Moon S, but there's sort of the genre as it was had only sort of been invented by this point because the technology was uh, quite bare bones. Yeah, so. it started popping up in arcades with stuff like Darkstalkers and Capcom's Versus series. Yeah, these games are sort of they 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 are sort of foundational texts for more uh, over the top fighting games, I guess. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know when you like, and it, it takes some of that DNA that we discussed in Sailor Moon S, where you have these characters with you know uh, these super arts that you know fill the screen or launch you off the screen or whatever, like. and like really broken abilities. Right, exactly, and they like sort of... really, and uh, very importantly, like incredibly fast movement. Yeah, incredibly fast movement, that kind of thing. So the anime fighting game is juxtaposed with the traditional fighting game, more like mm-hmm. Street Fighter, more like Street Fighter V, or even more like Street Fighter Two, which is you know the the the, the foundational right. text in this regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anime fighters seek to distance themselves from this style, like uh, and a fantastical conception of martial arts, and instead yep. become what if the fantastical conception of whatever the fuck anime is about uh, were to have a fight instead. So instead of having characters who are so good at, you know, punching and controlling their key that they can throw small fireballs, you have characters with giant swords, characters that can shoot laser mm-hmm. beams that fill the entire screen, you know, that that kind of thing. Characters with yeah. wings, characters with... Cyborgs. Yeah, cyborgs, aliens, magicians, angels, aliens. magicians. Yeah, a lot of magicians. But- magical girls, like... Uh-huh. Magical girl anime that is less uh, that is less reserved than yep. Sailor Moon is might have what characters is called a who aren't anime even made of it. 
characters who aren't even human shaped. Right, exactly. Um, Blitz Tank, who we discussed, who we uh, <laughs> talked about in the last episode, is you know he's from an anime fighter, and honestly, you couldn't really put you couldn't really put Blitz Tank in Street Fighter, but you could. No, in... you could. <laughs> yeah, the the having a tank that's also a cyborg skull. Right, exactly, and it's like it's look, this. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, no, no. It doesn't. I said it doesn't quite work against the, you know, cast of international stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, however good you are at, uh, you know, however good Ryu gets at uh, mastering his mastering the flow of his key, he's never going to be able to beat Blitz Tank that can shoot lasers from its eyes and things like that. Well, I mean, if you want, I'm sure somebody has. Um, done the science on this yeah i mean there are there are definitely charts out there that you can find that have uh like big lists of every character ryu has ever fought in every yeah crossover canonically game he's been in. canonically ryu could beat galactus <laughs> yeah yeah ryu could ryu could just show you so maybe galactus he could just right in his chin so maybe yeah maybe maybe blitz tank is not beyond him but this uh this uh sort of the size point is an interesting one because it, it leans into the one of the ideas that anime fighters are looking to touch on which is that you can have these characters that have these ridiculous ability sets that seem completely incongruous, but because of the sort of implicit rules of quote-unquote anime, these things can mm. be understood to fight on an even playing field, right? Yep. Blitz Tank is obviously huge, obviously shoots lasers from his eyes, uh, and obviously, you know, it will damage you if he runs you over. But like, Yeah, covers half play, the screen. Yeah, but you can play in, that, in the games that he's in, you can play as you know, some dude who punches real good. And you can guarantee that, like, you can implicitly understand that he will be able to punch so good he can punch this tank into oblivion. He can throw this tank. Like, that can just yep. happen in the world of anime. Yeah, it's it's like Dragon Ball Z, you know? Right, exactly. It's that shown in fighting anime rules. Exactly. As long as uh, the characters believe enough and have enough friendship power, they can kind of, you know, destroy the whole universe. Right, exactly. So, like, uh, if you have never played an anime fighting game or, you know, are sort of just getting into fighting games and trying to understand why you might be interested in playing an anime fighting game over something like Street Fighter or Tekken, the uh, the question that you want to ask yourself is, like, how... What, one of the questions, I guess, that you would want to ask yourself is how tight are the margins that you want to win on, at least in a mechanical mm -hmm. sense? Like, uh, in Street Fighter, you will... You, you'll, like, you'll win on a margin whereby... You space yourself out such that your opponent uh, tries to tries to press buttons like that are too short to, to hit mm -hmm. you. You know they whiff their their low medium kick a lot or whatever, and you're able to punish that. You're able to capitalize on that mistake, and uh, uh, you're able to win. And it's like it's a tight margin of victory, right? You uh, you yep. but it's but maybe that that kind of uh, that kind of tight margin is the kind of thing you're interested in. However, if what really interests you is noticing that your opponent has a has tried to attack you across the screen with their 15 foot scythe and it's like too <laughs> slow you can respond by doing a laser beam the size of the entire screen and kill them that's the kind right. of that's the kind of margin that you frequently win on in an anime fighting game yep. like uh, it sort of it's it prides itself on taking the tightness and the the tightness and the sort of, I guess, groundedness of a game like Street Fighter and just ramping it all the way up to 11,000. Like, Yep. You know, you, people will start, you'll start punching each other so ridiculously that you'll start flying up into the air. And frequently, right, exactly. half, the, half the game occurs, you know, 
while you're suspended in the air doing combos on each other things yes. like that yeah games with uh, particularly games with like heavy uh like uh you know in uh, one of the easiest examples to talk about i guess is that in a lot of anime games like for example guilty gear you can double jump which if you could mm-hmm. do in street fighter would completely change the entire game it would make anti-airing impossible it would make you know combo heights change completely but in guilty gear it's normal and you yep. can also dash in the air and so on and so on so, like, anime games, they, they take you to this world where things that are obviously broken in the world of Street Fighter are normal, and you have to find new broken things in this terrifying world. It's not... Yep. Yeah, it isn't just... Uh, it isn't just... It doesn't just superficially raise, like, raise the stakes that the players uh, are sort of... Like, I guess the fictional stakes, because it, it translates to you as uh, an evolution of the mechanics of a game like Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, not it fundamentally better or worse, it's just different in a way that can be exciting. Yeah, so it basically expands like a pretty tight play space in things like Street Fighter or King of Fighters and literally expands their space. Right, so you exactly. Can, you know, play two screens above in height or you get kind of a lot more um, movement and so more of the space you can oper- you can operate within larger bounds. And then typically to go along with it, you get a lot more expressive um, combos and moves. Yes. That right. will, you know, allow you to continue for long times, change the way that you deal pressure, uh, uh, you know, or lots of moves that will also just change your trajectory mm-hmm. by themselves. So you can, you know, fake out. And generally, they're also um, pretty lenient on the button presses. Yeah, so uh, that's, a, that's a sort of, I guess, a subtle and mechanical point, is that uh, because anime games, they expect you to be doing these, you know, 30-hit, 50-hit combos or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. they, they can be more lenient on how tight the timing is for any given link in those combos. Whereas in yeah. a game like Street Fighter, you'll probably have your, your your longest combos will be like 14 hits or whatever. Yeah, and, and they'll so, have very... Sp- Street Fighter will have very specific timing. Yes. So exactly. you'll have to do it just as you're finishing some specific animation or things like that. Whereas anime games, they tend to let you cancel a lot of the moves into each other. They generally have like a universal chain route mm-hmm. where you can do a light button to a medium button to a heavy button. And those will do what's, you know, called canceling. So they'll cancel the animation. So you can do it like basically um, in a really wide window while the other move is happening. Yeah. So you don't have to be very specific. You just need to kind of piano that sequence of buttons. Yeah. And then focus more on getting the timing of like, say, a double jump after you do that to extend it or, you know, have yourself positioned and use the right... Um, special move afterwards to continue it as opposed Mm -hmm. to you have to do it within this four frame window yes exactly so that's another thing is that uh so street fighter combos and in games like that the at the basic level making a combo of you know a small number of hits is about figuring out which moves fit together like which moves are literally able to come out in time to hit while your opponent is still stunned from the last attack that you did. Mm -hmm. Whereas in anime fighting games, typically you can fit these things together quite simply. And like what fits together, the the answer to the question, what fits together is everything. But the, uh, the, like it's more about the order in which you do these things and maximizing what you get out of the, that order, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is this is combined. You sure you can combine this move and this move. Uh, you could do either of these two moves out of you know a specific combo, but do you want to do the specific combo that will 
knock them down and then set them up for more pressure? Or do you want to do the one that'll knock them all the way into the corner? Right, exactly. Things like um, that. Or is this move here? Both of them could hit, but is this one going to hit if I have them positioned this way in the air as opposed right. to this way? Things like that. So that's kind of part of its more expressiveness. It mm-hmm. gives you a lot more options in terms of how you want to follow up a situation and how and how you want to create situations. Yes. So, and one thing that Bear's mentioned at this point, I guess, is that I would say that it's important to know that anime fighting games are not necessarily hard. Like, I guess from what we're saying, anime games sound harder than games like Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's not necessarily true. In fact, I would say overwhelmingly, like, uh, once you reach a basic level of understanding, fighting games, the, the difficulty of fighting games is much more concentrated in how you play against an opponent. But one thing that mm-hmm. is definitely true is that anime games are frequently more complex than games like uh, Street Fighter. They will yeah, they have ask you to understand stuff. more before you feel like you know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have more complex systems and lots of stuff to kind of balance out the... Uh, lack of technicality they basically just move the difficulty to a different place yeah exactly and where you concentrate your uh, complexity is you know it's a it's an important choice to make when you're designing a game and in this case mm-hmm. and it, it varies by game but in a game like guilty gear for example all of that uh, complexity is concentrated in the fact that there are literally 10 like universal <laughs> system mechanics that everyone there's three use. types of cancels that you can use it's okay they're all different colors don't worry about it it's fine yep yeah. More stuff to so, say uh, and, and some people do actually find anime fighters a lot easier. Since they'll typically have less buttons, they'll have like three attack buttons as opposed to like six or something, uh, like light, medium, and heavy, things like that. The cancel system, um, I've heard people describe like specific anime fighters as like fast, like they find games like Street Fighter slow because of, you know, you have to wait for the right, yeah. move to finish every single time and things mm. like that. It's out of outside of like specific situations, so they find it much easier because you kind of always get that instant response to your buttons, right? Things exactly. like that. So sometimes that's a little bit easier for people to get their heads, you know, wrapped around and things like that. So yeah, it's just moving the difficulty to different places. Right. So if anime games transport you to this world where the broken of the non-anime fighting game is the new normal, then what stands out about Undernight, I guess, is that. It, uh, it abandons a lot of the conventions of the traditional anime game. Uh, mm-hmm. So this uh, this double jumping that uh, I mentioned in Guilty Gear, this air dashing, that is all not present. It's much more uh, grounded, I guess you would say, yep. than a game like Guilty Gear, a game like Arcana Heart, because yep. uh, you can't air dash, you can't double jump, but also uh, there is a wealth of attacks that you can't block in the air. Because, uh, so, again, in, to use Guilty Gear as a, uh, an example, if you have an, any, any meter available, you can spend it to be able to block any attack in the air. You can right. still get thrown in the air and stuff like that. But the point is that being in the air, apart from putting you on a fixed, semi-fixed trajectory, because you can still double jump, you can still air dash, uh, it doesn't really limit you in the yeah. same way as it does in, say, Street Fighter. In Street Fighter, you absolutely can't block in the air. You absolutely can't double jump because it's important that when you jump, you're on a fixed trajectory with a move, uh, with a fixed set of moves that you can be anti-aired out of. Being able to anti-air yeah. people in Street Fighter is super important. Yeah, because the payoff is so big for jumping in Street Fighter. Right, It's exactly. very important that the tools for dealing with somebody who does it 
exactly. are powerful. That, yeah, that risk-reward needs to be properly balanced. So Undernight, on the other hand, has a whole host of moves that you cannot block in the air, and including mm-hmm. so, to the point where, so in some matchups, jumping is basically a death sentence because right. there are characters who have moves that can fill the entire screen that you can't block in the air. So if you jump within range of those, you just get hit. Yeah, and when we say moves, we mean sometimes you just push one button. Right, exactly. It's well, While you, there's usually anime fighting games where you can just, you know, shoot giant laser beams and stuff, they're usually like special moves that take up a lot of time to start up. Sometimes, for some characters in this game, you push one button and you cover, you know, a quarter of the screen. Right, The whole exactly, space in yeah. front of you. Exactly. And if your opponent is uh, happens to be jumping and your move happens to be air unblockable, then, well, they, your opponent's going to eat shit and they're going to think real hard about not jumping next time. And Undernight, <laughs> is, Undernight is full of that. And it, it, it ends up with this, this, this... It ends up with a game where jumping is heavily disencouraged, despite the fact that you can... Uh, your air movement options are sort of, well. Your air, your air options are uh, textured. There's there's a lot to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can use different special moves and stuff to change your trajectory. Even if you can't, you know, do the usual double jump and um, air dash. So it's right, kind of exactly. like the middle ground of Street Fighter and like anime fighting games. Yeah, in totally. that there's very much a very grounded focus for a lot of the match yes um but it gives you a lot of the kind of like overpowered tools and spectacle that anime fighter characters have yeah so i suppose an important thing to note is that as an anime fighting game every single character feels like complete bullshit to play as in you feel very powerful doing the things that these characters can do and that yeah that you, feeds into always, the aesthetic very very well you always feel like you're doing something that's unfair yeah exactly exactly in the parlance, that shit's cheap. Exactly. Every character in Undernight is cheap as hell. There are no yeah. non-cheap characters. Even Everybody the, is uh, cheap. Even the basic ass, you know, uh, fireball, uh, dragon punch boy, uh, even he has like uh, an advancing. It, it, it's like a, it's like if Ryu's if Ryu's uh, uh, Tatsumaki, where the the whirlwind kick. It's like if yep. that when most of the screen. The last hit was an overhead, and it was unpunishable on block. That's that's, <laughs> that's what this game's basic ass boy is like, and it just gets yeah. more nonsensical from there. There's so much stuff in this game that is bullshit. We will. Yeah, we'll, it feels we'll, we'll like they to took that. a feels like they took a Marvel versus Ryu and then put him into Street Fighter. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's just get right back into it. Um, now that we kind of established the baseline that this game is playing with. Uh, let's talk about like the aesthetics of this game. Yeah, because yeah. that's so, a huge uh, part of the anime fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Fighting game, um, appeal. You will. Uh, you will hear me be the first person to say that you should. One of the main reasons you should play fighting games is that they are the best looking games on the market, and you, you deserve to play games that look good. And Undernight looks good as hell. <laughs> yeah, when you only got like ten locations and you know 20 characters that you gotta do you can focus a lot on them in ways that you can't when you have to make a giant large world or whatever right exactly and your characters need to be distinctive their animations need to be distinctive because people Mm -hmm. need to know what they're doing when they do it they gotta be readable Mm -hmm. yeah and you gotta you you accept the fact that a good you know 70 plus percent of the people who play your game will never touch the story so you got to be able to communicate the character of these characters just through what they do and this game absolutely does that but uh, the way that this game, the way that this game communicates its character and aesthetic, the most pointed way that it does that, I guess, is the uh, 
if you've played Multi Blood, you'll recognize the French bread classic of just filling every single loading screen, transition screen, dead space on the character select screen, dead space on the match start screen with <laughs> paragraphs and paragraphs of completely interminable text. It's yeah. so good. Complete nonsense, full of anime story jargon. Every yep. third word is a proper noun. Hell yeah. It's good as hell. It's so good. Lots of references to, to fates and promises that, and vengeance, all that. It's all very yeah. good. All the all these little uh, notes about the internal lives of each character. Hell yeah. It's, it's awesome. And, I, like, and, and, and a lot of it is pre- presented in a way that you could never possibly read. But somebody wrote that. Like the... Uh, Yep. There's there's one which like scrolls along the uh, the border of the ready set go text, and, it, and it's so fast that you'll never be able to read it. But it's there. Somebody wrote that for us. Yeah, one of my favorites one favorite ones is the pre-fight dialogue, where it's got the you know whatever term it has for its. So yeah, beginning. so the, the ready set go is uh, first clause divide. <laughs> Yeah, first clause, divide, and then underneath it, it says, kill each other, but it's good. Kill each other, but it's good. If that ain't fighting games, I don't know what it is, baby. <laughs> Hell fucking uh, yeah. It's like, if you've ever seen the Japanese Sonic box art, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like that level of weird, almost nonsensical English, but yeah. somehow philosophically poignant. I was going to say, yeah, it's just it's just English enough to sound like genius. It's great. I love it. It's incredible. And like the the phrase "kill each other, but it's good" is born out through this the sort of the the framework of this game. Like uh, everybody, I don't know. Like there there you have your your characters who are like uh, who who are like these stereotypes of uh, sort of broody protagonists or brooding villains or whatever, but like. Ultimately, everyone's everyone's having a good time killing each other, whether they want to admit it or not. It's it's great. There's lots of lots of smiling in this game, whether it's it's you know mirthful or evil, but it's it's good. Yeah, they're all very dramatic and have all they all have like very distinct and likable personalities. Yeah, or unlikable in like a good way. Yeah, so that's like oh what a fucking piece of shit! I love this man. Like, that's one of the main draws of an anime game like this one, I guess, where the characters are drawn as with such broad strokes as these, is that uh, it, it lets you play a game with, you know, 20-odd characters where every single character is extremely on their bullshit at all times, and that is borne out through the play, and it, it, it looks and feels great. It's awesome. Yeah, we should talk about some of these, uh, yeah. some of our favorites here. Why don't you Who is begin your, with uh, uh, yours? Okay, I'll begin with mine. Uh, so, I love every <laughs> single character in this game. They're all my terrible children, and I love them. But, uh, if I had to pick a favorite, I, I would pick my the character I play the most, which is, uh, is Gordo, the garbage boy to end all garbage boys. <laughs> so, uh, Gordo is uh, tall, dark, and, tall, dark, and handsome. He's got this sort of sp- spiky brown hair. Uh, he's wearing a big purple jacket. Uh, That's open. Yeah. Well, he's <laughs> to wearing show a big, off his abs. To show off his abs because he's not wearing a shirt for some reason. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing a huge heavy jacket, but no uh, shirt under it. Like everyone in this game, uh, he has a belt which is undone for some reason. <laughs> uh, and he is such a huge dork that he fights entirely with one hand in his jacket pocket. Which yep. would be dumb even if he was a, a martial artist, but no, he fights with a fifteen foot scythe. So yep. 
whenever he is punching someone, he is uh, either so he's keeping one hand in his pocket, punching them with the non-pocket hand, and either <laughs> balancing his scythe on his shoulder or keeping it in hammer space, I guess. So uh, and like the hand stays in his pocket the whole time, including using his signature attack, which is uh, is called Grim Reaper. Uh, in which, which he, he of course yells yeah he yells grim reaper as he does it because he's a classy guy and yep. he just uh he just swings the scythe all the way around multiple times and if you look at the animation the hand stays in his pocket so he's holding the scythe with one hand swinging it all the way around the screen and it, and it is the whole screen by the way uh, yeah pretty and, much if you're anywhere on the screen doing anything you're gonna yeah, get hit it's gonna hit you and uh, it's one of those moves that I mentioned is air unblockable, so probably don't jump against Gordo. <laughs> It'll be a shit time for you. Yeah. And uh, importantly, if you get hit by it, he can also scoop you in. Yep, he can scoop you in. He can... Uh, he can... So yeah, his, uh, I guess the center, of, uh, the center of Gordo's like game plan is he has these really silly long scythe attacks that he can control the screen with and then as soon as you fuck up and get hit by one he scoops you in to right in front of his face where he can mix you up and do nasty things he can hit you he can hit you low he can hit you high and he also for some reason has a command throw uh, where he grabs you with his pocket hand which is, has got horrible nasty nails on it and steal a bit of your soul yeah for so, for some reason they have this tool that they don't really need yeah exactly it's like every character in this game yeah yeah, there's a lot They're of like, stuff. They're like, why? Why yeah. would you have that and all these other tools? Yeah, the uh, the phrase. I'm, I'm sure that it wasn't invented in the uh, the Undernight community, but the phrase hashtag she needs it or hashtag he needs it definitely uh, <laughs> appears a lot on Undernight Twitter to describe these yeah, characters right. and their ridiculous tool sets. So uh, yeah, Godot is a is a, a terrible garbage boy who can control the control the full the full length of the screen and also mix you up at close range. He's got. He, he's 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 always got his hands in his pocket. What what a weirdo! I love him. He's he's the best. He yep. is my and favorite of garbage boys. Oh yeah, who fill the whole screen boy. with attacks? My favorite garbage boy is Merkava. Hell yeah, Merkava. Gotta love Merkava. Merkava's this like huge noodly arm. I guess void. Yeah, Merkava. Merkava's a void. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. So uh, think of like, what if there was a human? Uh, human in quotations because he's like nine feet tall human-sized version of, like, a Evange- Evangelion that, like, went berserk. Yeah, exactly. He's got a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of colors that, like, lean into that as well. So he, it was yeah, definitely so feels very, like a conscious influence on the design. Very, like, extendable arms. Like, by default, his arms go from his shoulders literally to the floor. So yeah, they're, they're, like, they're, like, sort of, like, not even, they don't even, like, touch the floor. They're, like, sort of spool swing on right the above floor. them they're yeah. like they're like sort of in a heap on the floor if he just lets his arms yeah. go limp he's got long arms but they can even stretch even farther yes including all so the way if... across the screen yeah so if anybody decides oh i'm gonna move or i'm gonna hit a button or i'm gonna think about moving you can do his hit grab which yeah. will shoot his arm all the way across the screen grab them and then pull Merkava in so you can fuck them up yep. real close yep it's, it's good and as then hell. uh yeah so he's like the slowest is he the slowest walk speed or the uh that one I huge dude don't know particularly because his uh his dash is is pretty good like 
He sort of yeah. scrabbles along the floor. It's, it's very, very charming. Pretty much he's the slowest if you walk. But right, um, yeah, yeah. there's so many other movement options yeah, that you'll probably say, never walk. I, I, I have never noticed that because A, Merkava's dash is very good. And B, his extremely long arms are also wings when he fly, when he jumps because he yeah, can fly. So he can fly. But also, <laughs> you think, oh, he can fly. So, you know, he's got to commit to a thing. It doesn't make him, you know, it's, he's not that bad. But yeah, if he can also jump and then do a dive kick. Yep, he can He can just hover for as long as he likes and then just sort of swoop towards you and then try and hide you or dive kick and try and low you. It's, it's great. Yeah, and if you're not familiar, dive kicks are like one of the most powerful uh, moves in fighting games. They're pretty unpleasant. It makes, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of there to make anti-airing someone's approach very challenging and it sure is challenging right. to anti-air Merkava, you know if you don't have a giant side yep because uh they change your trajectory from what is usually a fixed you know trajectory let you come down at a different angle and they threaten to you know do damage to your opponent so like you said if they're thinking about anti-airing if they don't time it just right you know they can be the one who gets hit instead yep so that kind of negates some of the you know uh, commitment or danger of doing what is usually a dangerous movement option. Yeah. But on top of that, Makava can also shoot a fireball in the air. Yep, he can shoot a fireball in the air. And uh, he can, what, uh, he can like, yeah. cancel into that from a bunch of his stuff. Yep. So if you try and... You can do, you can do an overhead, which yeah. generally is a really big slow attack to like open somebody up and then make them think twice about their next move and usually you don't get a follow-up with it because of how tricky it is to block but if you're merkava you get to jump all the way across smack them on the head from a quarter away of the screen and then follow it up with a fireball yeah, if they, you know if they block spin it them into the corner contest it it's a fireball don't worry about it's it it's a fireball and then you're safe <laughs> So my favorite things about Merkava, apart from so, so my favorite like visual thing about Merkava is so he looks like a sort of you know uh, PVC suit shark man I guess, <laughs> but uh, his uh, his teeth are completely flat, which I like yep. a lot. It's very good. It's sort of like a he looks like a Pez dispenser on his face. It's it's quite funny. <laughs> but his uh, eyes are completely white. Yeah, yeah. Um, very animalistic. Uh animations like you mentioned that crawl before where he just crawls yeah. on all fours as his dash yeah. goes from like one of the tallest characters to like super low profile as he approaches yeah um he can do a sort of thing similar to um amaterasu from okami in marvel versus capcom 3 where he kind of lunges on the floor like a dog and yeah, then just throws them up heels. into the yeah, air yeah and uh so another great aesthetic thing about Mokava is that his uh his Super super his his eye wax as we call it. Uh, mm-hmm. He just he just eats you. <laughs> he just fucking eats eats you. Like the screen gets covered yep. in blood. It's very dark compared to the sort of levity of the rest of the game. Yep. And uh, also, he uh, can just fucking rip his arm off and chuck it at you, and it turns into a bunch of baby worms. <laughs> yep, he can do that. And also, just like he has a bunch of follow up moves where he just, you know, like. And like uh, furiously slashes in front of you yeah. to the point where it looks like there's twenty arms coming out of him. Yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. He's he's very much the uh, the inflatable arm waving tube man made into a <laughs> yeah. fighting game character. Yeah, and then when you when you get knocked out, he picks you up and then he flies away like a pterodactyl. Yep, he's gonna eat Presumably you. Presumably, <laughs> <you. laughs> 
Oh yeah, and it's really good. He, uh, if if that hasn't sold you on the character, he is screaming at all times. <laughs> Literally everything you do is, accom- is accompanied oh, yeah. by like, some Bleh. screams. Bleh. Bleh. It's like a horrible chicken. It's great. <laughs> so yeah, that's Macava. Macava's cool as hell. We love Macava. Yeah, but there are uh, <laughs> there are, are there are other characters who are not just you know dastardly boys. Yes, we uh, we also so my second favorite character in Undernight, who I would probably spend all my time playing if Gordo didn't exist, is Nanase. <laughs> so Nanase is great. Uh, if 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 you want to understand Nanase without listening to what I'm about to say, you should listen to her theme song because it's it's really something. But uh, so if you, if you don't want to do that, Nanase is like she's like the protagonist to a different show. Uh, yeah. So she has a big, ornate, decorative-looking sword. She has sort of, like, nice, friendly magic powers. Uh, she has, like, wind powers. But uh, she does... So she's like the protagonist to another show, but she doesn't want to be. Her motivation is that uh, she became an in-birth, some void attacked her, and I think maybe Hyde saved her or something, but she didn't really get it and thinks that it's Hyde's fault that she has these superpowers and she doesn't really want to be involved in any of this stuff so she's trying to beat up Hyde to I don't know get her to get him to make her normal again or something it's very funny it's yeah she's really weird her design feels like an anime adaption of some light novel yeah exactly (laughs) just like a regular high school girl who just does regular high school stuff, except she also has happens to have, you know, yeah. magical girl powers. And yeah, it's like, oh, this boy in my class saved me from a monster, and now I'm a magical girl? But, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's the overlong title for yeah, her exactly. light novel. So her, her, her nice magic powers is that she has wind powers, so she can, she can fly, uh, which is great in that it gives... Not only does she have uh, little winged shoes, which is very charming, but also uh, because she has wind powers, her hair is always dramatically blowing in the in in the wind because she can control yeah. the wind. It's great. Yeah, very convenient fashion item. Exactly. So apart from the fact that she just fucking hassles you by just throwing a bunch of tornadoes at you and then flying along on the wind to to hit you with her giant sword, yep. the best thing about Nanase is that when she beats you and you're lying there on the floor thinking about how beaten you just were. She gets her phone out and starts tweeting about how bodied you just were. It's so good. It's so, so, so good. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. Like a friend and I were uh, uh, trying to uh, trying to fit in, like fit the Undernight characters to like uh, sort of, you know, I guess Twitter user archetypes. And uh, Nanase, yeah. Nanase definitely has like a, a Tumblr social justice blog where she's like <laughs> concerned about, I don't know, uh, she, well, yeah, she de- Nanase definitely has a, a Tumblr. Nanase definitely stuff. disapproves of your ships. Yeah, exactly. Nanase is definitely fucking subtweeting you about your ships. Nanase is definitely out here like tweeting about subtweeting about how Gordo needs to cover up and stuff like that. Yeah, how people who ship these two characters are disgusting. Exactly. <laughs> Nanase, Nanase is, is out there fucking reporting you for posting phone on fan art. <laughs> ah, Christ. So yeah, that's Nanase. Uh, Who else you got? 
from Nanasai, I think I need to go right to Hilda. Oh, of course, of course. Hilda's like a middle-aged wine mom, but the game says she's like 18. I think, so I read um, about this recently because I, I, cause I've been saying this same bit as well, but uh, actually, like, apparently the game, like, apparently the game doesn't say her age, but Kamine said she's like 22, 23, which again, she definitely isn't. She's a wine mom. But at least she's not, <laughs> at least, at least Kamine doesn't think she's a teen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, she's so she's not like that. Um, they call that the Ojo Sama. Yeah, she's got the archetype. She's got the Ojo laugh, which I'll edit into the podcast after we're done recording. Very uppity rich girl attitude. Um, and while most of them uh, will still fight you, she's very uppity rich girl to the point. Where, uh, just to demonstrate the point of uh, Undernight being very over the top, instead of, like, beating you in her skirt and then, you know, complaining about how she had to sweat or something like that, she won't even get up. She has magical powers and she just kind of creates a couch. Yeah, she just, just kind of like gestures towards space you. Space couch. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, you know, giant spikes of dark energy. And she's <laughs> not like you while she sits down she's not like emotionally invested in killing you she sort of lies back on her couch and just sort of waves her hand in your direction and this giant yeah, spike kinda... made of shadow will impale you from the ground she kind of treats it like she's vegging out and watching netflix <laughs> yeah pretty much she just sort of has a lie down and it's uh yeah even when she blocks she just sort of she doesn't like you know uh she doesn't like prime her shoulder to absorb the impact or whatever. She just kind of lies back on the couch and there's this like force field. <laughs> She's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're very much her entertainment for that. Yeah, day. exactly, exactly. And so, like, to go along with that, she's, like, a very zoning-heavy character. Yes, And her absolutely. job is to basically make sure you never get anywhere near her. Yep. <laughs> Which is very easy to do when you can just push one button and it'll take up half the screen but that's the thing and if, if you, you uh, hold it it'll do more combo but if you think you have if you think you have long buttons hilda is here to say no mine are the longest it, you, you and if be... they're not long enough well i'll do the move where it comes from the other side yeah exactly she's uh yeah. she can basically put a projectile anywhere on the screen yep. instantly It'll take a little bit to start up, but then you then that whole part of the screen is just a no go zone. Yeah, this is this is a uh, Hilda's whole deal is that she'll uh, she'll hassle you at full screen with her extremely long nonsense, and then she will uh, she'll knock you down and she'll she'll put this orb above your head, which looks unassuming, but then after a little bit, it will just vomit tiny needles at you and if you try and do anything they will hit you so you just need to sit there and wait while she thinks about whether yeah. she's going to hit you high or low or not yeah and then you'd think well i can just block and then i can dash in and get in yeah but if you do it slightly off then she'll do her spikes yep horizontally which will throw you back into the corner yep. <laughs> and then you gotta start it all over again and if you want so she's very her, good at she like will teleport behind your head because anime <laughs> Yeah, she's very good at making sure that you get frustrated. Yes, absolutely. It's very easy to lose your cool playing against Hilda. It's just like, what can I do? And there are things you can do, but figuring out the exact timing of when you can do them is like incredibly frustrating. Yes, uh, which is exactly why when she kills you, she does a very high-pitched and <laughs> grating laugh because they knew that. Yeah. They knew that that was what yeah. that character was for, and it, it absolutely, absolutely works. She gives you that Ojo Sama laughter. <laughs> Precisely. As she covers her mouth up. 
you know, it's perfect. Absolutely, it's very good. But like, you know, we've just, we've just talked about these characters, but pretty much every character in this game is is that cool. Like, I could have yeah, just like twenty something of them. I yeah. think. And we, we But all of them feel just as broken and as cool. Exactly. Like uh, this 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 section was much longer. We cut out a bunch of it because there were so many characters we wanted to talk about, but we cut it down to four for a time concerns. Yeah, we could just, you know, do a whole <laughs> another hour just going through every single character and why they're cool. And you can kind of there's so much variety in the way that they play. Yeah. That it's easy to find something that you kind of like. Yeah, absolutely. There is an enormous diversity of styles in this game. It feels like every archetype is um every archetype is represented. Yeah, absolutely. If not like completely in one character, in other aspects of another character. Yeah. Because everybody has so many goddamn tools. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that they need. They have they need they need it. They need it. Yeah. It's like, oh, if you want to play Zangief, you got Waldstein. He's like three times as big as Zangief. If you wanna play Dalzium, you got Hilda, that's fine. You wanna play Guile, Vatista is like two guiles stapled together. Don't worry about it. We got what you need. <laughs> we got what you need. Right. And yeah, there's so there's so much variety both visually and playstyle wise. It's just it's um it's a very diverse game. Yes, absolutely. And the kind of situations, because of it, the kind of situations you can get into are very varied, and it feels like you can kind of spend your entire life learning it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, but not like in a weird, frustrating way. Yeah, or like yeah. it feels like you don't have a chance against everybody. Right. Because, totally. like I said, everybody is cheap. Yes, everyone is cheap, and like it feels, it feels like a game that reveals itself to you as like commensurate with your interest in it right it does like it's mm -hmm. you sort of said it before is that it doesn't feel like an enormous amount of the game is beyond you at any given time even though you know realistically it might be hundreds of hours away it always feels like it's in sight it's in reach you know yeah part of the reason of this is because there's like a lot of good universal tools in the mechanics yeah right so this is the thing that i guess we uh, i want to make sure that we talk about in the the depth that it deserves because i think it is probably mechanically speaking the smartest thing about undernight so typically anime games uh square the circle created by their enormous casts of very powerful characters by having more powerful universal mechanics right it doesn't matter that uh you know some characters have overheads that start up super fast and can cover the entire screen or you know and that some characters don't or that some characters have very 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 long combos and some characters don't because some games have bursts or some games have you know uh, defensive options that cover high and low at the same time things like that right mm -hmm. so the problem with that then is that your anime games your guilty gears your arcana hearts there is a lot of front-loaded teaching because yeah you, for the first however many games that you play, somebody could do something to you and you're like, I have never seen that before because you didn't know uh, that was in the game. Yeah, you didn't Either you didn't know that system mechanic was in the game or you had had it explained to you but it wasn't really clear when you should use it or if you know when you should use it, how you should beat it, right? Yeah, so to take kind of an example from French Bread, the developer's last game... Uh... Dengenki Buko fighting Climax. Every character in that game had like a unique like trump card move that you could use, but it would just be completely different depending on each character. So you'd use it and then you'd see like a little bar ticking down and you'd be like, what did that do for my character? Yeah, yeah. What did and it maybe it changed some property of some move. Some character will get like, you know, two swords instead of one. 
things like that. And they're generally pretty powerful tools that you want to know how to use. Um, but then, you know, they're unique for every character and you have to kind of learn what each one of them is. Yeah. And you got to figure out, you know, okay, how do I build my game plan around yeah. this? And this, this, again, this approach to, to design is not like a bad thing by any means. But it means that uh, if you're trying to learn these games, it means that your mental stack at any given time can be huge. Because, like, so yeah. as, as an example, I've been playing Guilty Gear for quite a long time now. Not as seriously as I've been playing Undernight, but pretty seriously. And the number of times that I have intentionally used the Blitz Shield mechanic is two. Because... I have no idea what right, that even exactly. is. exactly. Because there are so <laughs> many things going on at any given time that the, the, um, like the focus required to identify a situation and say, I should Blitz Shield now is like hard it's very hard yeah i know like two of the six <laughs> i started learning it and i know like two of the six guards yeah, exactly. and i was like you know that's good enough for now yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to keep everything else in my brain is really hard and there's also just like it, they might there you might only have four buttons but then like every single combination of buttons is represented yeah totally, totally. so you're just like uh especially if you're playing like an arcade stick where you don't get instant you know access to the macros and stuff you're like uh what combination of buttons was it to do that one yeah exactly mechanic exactly so what undernight does that i think is a real really impressive uh a really impressive successor to this uh, approach to design is that it is by all accounts uh, like exactly as deep and as complex as a game like gears of gear or a mm -hmm. game like arcana heart but what it does is it concentrates all of the uh it concentrates all of the complexities of Guilty Gear's 10 unique system mechanics or whatever into what you could easily read as just one mechanic, which is the grind grid, which is a great name for mechanic, by the way, at the, uh, at the bottom <laughs> center of the screen. That, like, if, you look, if you've played fighting games before and you've only seen Undernight played, like, it's what most people point to and say, I get everything else, but what's that? And it's this, yeah. What uh, the heck is that? Yeah. So the grind grid is a, a sort of a meter of blocks, uh, sort of at, at the center of the screen with a clock mm -hmm. behind it. And yep. what that does is that every time that clock completes a revolution, the player with more blocks, more grid—that's what we call it—will uh, be mm -hmm. given vorpal, uh, which means that they do ten percent additional damage and they gain access to a cancel mechanic, like a Roman cancel or a rapid cancel, called Chain Shift. So mm -hmm. what this means is that this game nominally has uh, a, a Roman cancel or... Uh, I should explain what that is. Uh, so <laughs> what that does is a uh, Chain Shift means that you tap the, uh, the shield button twice, and it mm -hmm. freezes the screen for a second. So what that means is that you get to see what is happening. You get, you get extra time to react to things, or you can yep. cancel the recovery of a move to extend a combo, or or you can give yourself more time to execute something that might be right. A bit exactly, more difficult, exactly. Things like that. It also gives you additional bar. So it's it's it basically it, what it does is it sets up Vorpal and Chain Shift as something that you want as often as you can get it. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives you more power. It gives you more. Um, statistical advantage yes. and then it gives you a new tool that you can use that the other person does not get yes exactly so what that means is uh everyone understands that the 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 vorpal and chain shift is something that they should get and thus that grid is something that they should get but rather than make it like very complex to get grid 
actually, typically you're rewarded with grid for doing the things that you want to do in a fighting game anyway. So what that what that means is that players who are not looking to like intimately understand how the system works before they just play will, if they're playing, you know, if they're playing well, if they're beating their opponent, will get this anyway. So it functions in the background if you are not interested in understanding it. But if you are interested in understanding it, you can take advantage of that system to leverage it against your opponent, right? Yeah, it's a feedback me- mechanism that tells you, you know, how you're playing. Once it, if it completes a revolution and then you've got Vorpal, then you're like, oh, okay, I got it. I was taking advantage. And then, like, what did I do to take that advantage? And to take the advantage is mostly, like you said, the things that you usually do in the fighting game. Mm-hmm. You exactly. advance, so they have less space to work with, and you want to put them in the corner, and you block. You block um, if you do blocks with good timing. Yes. Uh, specifically, it's called shield. Yeah, so you're, uh, uh, you're, awarded, you're awarded grid for shielding your opponent's attacks. Uh, for, sorry, for blocking mm-hmm. your opponent's attacks normally. You're, you're, you yep. start siphoning your opponent's shield if you uh, you're, you start siphoning your opponent's grid if you shield their attacks. So what that means is mm-hmm. that your opponent is punished for doing predictable offense, right? Because yep. oh yeah, because uh, if you yeah, and you're rewarded and like pretty massively, if you can get like you know three or four in a row. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, that's enough to well timed shields. Yeah, yeah, that's enough to like immediately change the cycle. Um, if you do it late then you spend some of that grid a little bit but you get pushed away so you become a little safer right exactly so uh but if you but if you are in turn predictable with your defense you'll get what's called grid broken yes so this is the you cannot uh, burn the, the cycle yes this is the risk reward at play here so if i pressure you and you shield my pressure then you steal my grid and are much more likely to win the cycle however if i'm aware that you're going to shield or you shield badly then what I can do is I can mix up my offense. So if you're shielding low, for example, you're shielding my mm-hmm. low attacks. Uh, if I if you do that in uh, if you do that badly, I can try and overhead you because while you're holding shield, you switch between low and high block more slowly. So it opens you up mm-hmm. to this high low mix, and also yeah, and you or you can get grabbed. Too. Yes, exactly. If you get thrown, you can't you can't block throws, and if you're shielding when you get thrown, that's an automatic grid break as well. So if you basically if you take damage while shielding, you get grid broken, and that means that you yep. can't earn or lose grid. Or you can't win the cycle until sometime later, typically after the next cycle has begun. Yeah, so it automatically gives them the cycle, um, depending on when that where that is the cycle is. Mm-hmm. That can be quite a while. Yeah, before yeah. You can even get the chance. Like a, to uh, it a complete revolution of the clock is seventeen seconds. So. That's mm-hmm. a long time in which to not have access to this mechanic. And you can't all, you also can't just hold backwards. Um, you can't also just block, you know, uh, regular block and earn grid because holding backwards will start to deplete it. Yeah. So you have to time your even your regular blocks well or you know, you'll lose ground and you'll also um, lose grid. Yeah. So this is I guess the the sort of the subtly smart thing about uh, the grind grid is that it it rewards <laughs> resources to the player. Uh, you know, the, you can you can you can phrase it as it awarding resources to the player playing well. But what it really does is it awards resources to the player proactively trying to cause the game to end, right? Which is good mm-hmm. because you know you want the players to be invested in winning the game, uh, and it means that you yeah. uh, it means that you sort of you, you know you have the 
you have the players actually actively trying to beat each other because tr trying to beat each other better will make it easier for them to beat each other because they get awarded with this unique resource, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it awards, you know, uh, not going on autopilot. Right, exactly. Because if you do, if you go on autopilot, you kind of just mash the shield or you kind of just block all the time mm -hmm. or uh, you can also do, you know, like uh, a jump in, move forward if you kind of, or... Uh, you can also use a thing called assault. Yeah, so that's which like is a, kind of like a low to the ground um, aggressive forward yeah, hop. Yeah, it's a short hop. Yeah, so it gets mm -hmm. you in the air, but also in your opponent's face. Right. So if you use all of those like kind of lazily, you'll get punished for it. Right. Exactly. And you won't earn this resources, so you have to kind of always be pay paying attention and, like you said, actively trying to be aggressive and end the game faster yes but you have to do it in a way that's intelligent and yes. uh, conscientious yes. rather than just running in and being rushed down all the time yeah so that's the other thing about this is that it not only rewards you for actually trying to end the game but like this thing where uh, the grind grid prioritizes play that is like varied that is intelligent is another good thing right because actually without that grind grid there those things are still bad and you should avoid doing them right but with the grind grid in the corner saying, hey, actually, you'll get less resources if you do that that way, even if it is working, you might think, actually, maybe I should mix this up a bit. And that, in turn, will make your offense or defense better. And that is cool. Yeah. What's that? It's feedback mechanism right, that exactly. kind of incentivizes you to play better once you understand it. Yeah. So the thing that the, the most, I guess, the most pervasive effect that this has on the game, and I, I sort of, I guess, this is probably what I'll try and close on, like, at least for talking about the grind grid, is that uh, because this game has this regular rule system uh, on top of, you know, the fact that it is a fighting game with a sort of reasonably mm -hmm. well-understood rule system and value system, uh, what that means yeah. is that at all times, uh, players who are thinking about the grind grid, uh, it sort of, it it warps the uh, it warps the risk reward of any given action, and it means that uh, it means that that like play situations. It means that you can have identical play situations, but depending on who has what grid and where you are in the clock cycle, identical play mm -hmm. situations can play out differently. That they can you can be made to think about them in different ways, right? Like yeah, so you might be at like the same distance um, with the same characters in two different situations but on one situation you might be like well i'll play a little bit safer um because the clock's not going to end for a while yes. or you could be like oh well if i use assault and do a short hop in that'll give me you know another block or two of grid mm. which will be enough to take the cycle because it's just about to end yeah right exactly so like you know you might be th like and then you have the situation where you know players are they're super close to each other they're sort of staring each other down and, you know, they're both thinking, like, right, well, I have this much grid. If I throw, I'll steal this much grid and then win the cycle. But they know that I'm going to throw, so they'll run, like, when I run up, they might throw break me and then I will lose some grid. So do I try and load mm -hmm. them or what? And then, like, it, it, it means that, like, it just, it just means that the decision space is very, very thought-provoking in a way that is very exciting. Yeah, you're always engaged. Yes, right? exactly. A lot of games where, a lot of games that are more grounded... It can kind of feel like um, certain situations are answered already. Right, yeah, sure. Like, this is the tool that you use at this range yeah. at this time. Like, 
you should always use it. You should always do it this way. Um, and this, the grid kind of like adds like another variable be like, well, do you really fucking want to do that right now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you just, if you do this the wrong way, you might just give the advantage to the opponent. Mm. And or do you want to try something wild, and, you know, to secure that advantage and give yourself, you know, uh, for a much bigger advantage? Yeah, totally. So, like, I guess one last thing as well is that, uh, so, you by giving the, uh, by, by giving the victory on the grind grid cycle, awarding the player with the chain shift, which is a, is a cancel. Uh, it means that mm -hmm. you have this same system, like in like the Roman cancel in Guilty Gear, but because it is awarded on such a regular but like uh, mm -hmm. scarce basis, it means that you still have this same complexity and this same like decision space, but uh, the the times in which you can apply it are regular, right? So like, there's a bunch of yeah. stuff that. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that you can only do when you have chain shift. Like, for example, if your opponent uh, tries to overhead you on your wake up, right? That's hard to react mm -hmm. to because typically people block low on their wake up because low attacks come out so fast and your opponent can time their overhead attack such that it's very hard, right? Yep. But you can chain shift on your wake up and you can see that they're doing that and then you can invincible reversal, do, you can do yeah. a faster button, you can even just block it. You, you do want. a super. Yeah, you do, yeah, right, exactly. You can do any number of these things. But you can only do it when you have chain shift. Which means that mm -hmm. you like it. Just, it just means that it just means that you have to think really hard. You, well, you don't have to, but you can think really hard about that. There is a lot to it. Rewards smart play in a way that is very mm -hmm. very satisfying. Yeah, and more and uh, really importantly, um, using chain shift gives you meter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's never. A... So in most games, you um, cancels are very powerful because they basically reset your actions, right? Yes. Yes. So you do a bunch of moves and like. Well, okay, the next one, I can't do this move again because it's not going to hit because of the way, um, you know, certain attacks work out. But if I use a cancel and spend meter, then I can extend it and say, you know, do another cycle of this yes, combo right, yes. and get big damage. Um, chain shift, instead, you can cancel it and then you'll get more meter. Yes, exactly. So like which will enable you to do more moves. And this works on multiple levels because it means that if you're winning the cycle... And you're, uh, you know, you're perhaps a newer player, and you don't really understand how to use the fact that the chain shift freezes the screen in order to, uh, like, win in ambiguous situations. You still get the chain mm -hmm. shift because it's going to give you meter, and you're going to have more meter, and you're going to feel good about that because you get to do more supers than your opponent, right? Right, and there's, and you also have rewards for just doing the chain shift by itself, not necessarily needing to understand the cancel exactly. mechanic, because um, it basically. After you get Vorpal, the amount of grid that you have gets transferred into meter mm -hmm. when you use Chain Shift, yes. and you get more meter if you do it outside of a combo. Yes, exactly. That's kind of a balancing mechanic for how much damage you can do using the cancel system. Mm -hmm. So you can just kind of win it and then immediately just spend Chain just Shift, and then you well, now bar. you have yep. yep, now you have more meter which you can use to do you know more powerful versions. Say instead of one projectile, you shoot three projectile, which will lock them down for longer or right. you can do a super or you can do an invincible version of a move to get you out of a bad situation or you can do like veil off the game's uh uh burst equivalent it's a, it's a universal like, invincible reversal yeah just bounces yeah, your opponent away like break i think it breaks combos it does not break combos it does not 
Oh, it does not. But, uh, it is. It's invincible on startup. It will knock your opponent away to full screen, and it, uh, it gives you a bunch. Basically of Basically, makes you safe. Yes. Basically, makes you safe, and then puts you in a situation where you can kind of turn the tide. Yes. And then also, you know, lets you use even more um, meter yeah, since it yeah. decreases the requirements of uh, meter for like using more powerful moves. Exactly. So yeah. So even if you don't understand the cancel system, you can just use it. I mean, this is honestly the way I use it, just to get more meter and to react to situations. Yeah, that's it. Like if you find you're like I don't know, what, and... I don't know what the fuck's going. Yeah, I push the button twice, and I'm like, okay, I got yeah. it. I got the half second more I needed to react exactly. to this. So if you find like if you find anti-airing hard, you can use chain shift to to anti air. It's it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Just gives you more time. It's great. Yeah. So once you kind of understand that, it's it just kind of rewards you for doing the things that you want to do. Anyway. Yeah. And this, this like, this, I feel like this is a good point to end on because this is based, this like a small, simple mechanic that has a bunch of complexity folded into, but that functions on multiple levels is basically the Undernight story. Like, mm-hmm. you can play this game as one of the you know the deepest and most complex anime fighters out there with a million options at any given time and a bunch of depth to the character matchups, but you can also just play it like you know, for want of a better phrase, like Street Fighter, just two players walking backwards and forwards and hitting each other with moves. Like, it, it works very well yeah. at all of these levels. And that's one of the best things Yeah, about so it. The, the amazing thing is how it gets that, like, anime flavor and style and over-the-topness and, like, expansiveness and expressiveness. But while, like how you said, anime games front-load everything, this lets you do the opposite. Yes, it drip feeds. Which is, it's very good. S- which is, you know, start on one part and then you can kind of layer all the other things on top of it. Yeah. Which makes it way easy, way more digestible because, you know, you can just learn your character and be like, okay, I learned my character. I know what my options are. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is this grind grid thing? You're like, okay, I got this grind grid. I want to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I want to learn how to use this defensive mechanic. And I'm like, okay, now what can I do with this grind grid? Now that I'm doing more damage with it. Oh, okay, now I can use chain shift. So now I can get all these other options. And you can kind of just build on top of them instead of being like, oh, what combination of button do I need to do to do this? Uh, what the fuck does this mechanic do? Uh, what does this character's version of this mechanic do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it, uh, it's complex, but in a way that allows you to start simple mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to do to you know jump into the deep end immediately absolutely and feeling yeah instead of feeling like it, it's uh the same way like the characters make you feel very powerful it makes you feel more powerful as you understand them as opposed to feeling like you are somehow limited because you don't understand all this the mechanics right yeah stuff. that's the that's the beauty of the grind grid is because of the way that it drip feeds this information to you and the way that it works at these all of these levels it doesn't feel like this i mean it, it looks like it but when you're using it it doesn't feel like this complex network of overwhelming systems that one day you will understand but it feels like something that at any time will reward the amount of understanding that you're able to give it mm-hmm. it's very good yeah and it's one of the main reasons why Undernight is my favorite fighting game. <laughs> Until the new version comes Until out, Until the right? new one. Yeah, there's a new one coming out next year. We'll probably do another, maybe a mini episode about it if there aren't that many changes. Because it's a new version rather well, than a new I, game. I look forward to, I look forward to seeing what uh, new additions they stack on top. Hell yeah. All right. So with that, let's go on to our question segment. Yeah, questions. 
We don't have a huge amount of questions today. That's fine. We had a uh, lot last time. We got time, a few good ones. So. Yeah. Last time was kind of our blowout mega episode. Yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, taking a little bit... <laughs> taking a little bit of time uh, from the extended uh, interview sessions <laughs> is probably fine. Well, we've got some good questions here from Olivia and the Abnormal Mapping Discord. Shout out to Abnormal Mapping once Shout again. Shout out to Abnormal Mapping, friends of the show. Uh, sh she asks, uh, if we have a specific style of fighting game character we like to play, and how generalizable we find the skills of playing certain character archetypes across games. So, what, what do you think about this? Because my, my answer to this question is pretty dumb. So, <laughs> what do you think about this? My answer is, I like playing Ryu. Yeah, <laughs> Let Ryu's me play cool. the Ryu like, uh, in every and, game. You know, people who, like, people who make fighting games tend to like Ryu because they tend to like Street Fighter. So... Yeah. I mean, the Ryu is the game that Ryu is the character that you usually build everybody else's tool sets right, around. Exactly. You know, he's got the fireball, he's got a, some kind of spinning kick or equivalent, and then he's got an uppercut that gets you out of bad situations. And uh, at least for that character archetype, you could kind of figure that out in like basically any fighting mm -hmm. game. I could play fucking Killer Instinct, and there's a Ryu. Yeah, Jago, he's Ryu. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And then you, so you don't need to worry about what his tools do you kind of just be like well i know what all these tools do what about all this extra shit around the game what about these game system stuff and you know um i like playing the reuse because usually even if like uh i don't under understand the game right away mm. it lets me focus on the aspects of the systems rather than like figuring out what the tools are because they're you know They'll have slight differences, but you can use them basically in the same way. Um, what about you? So, uh, I, following on from the previous point I made about how you should play fighting games because they look great, uh, I pick my fighting game characters entirely on what is visually appealing to me. So I would not say that I consciously go for any given mechanical archetype for characters. However, uh, having a similar conversation to this one with a friend who was trying to decide what her... Uh, character archetype was the character the kind of thing that she liked uh, we discovered that all of the characters that i play fit into one of two categories either <laughs> either they are shirtless sort of evil loud dumbasses like urien or gordo <laughs> or yep. uh, they're cute girls like elfelt from guilty gear or yang and blake from blaze blue cross type battle right Yep. And mm -hmm. a bunch of these characters seem to have a through line of characters with powerful, like, longish range neutral buttons, like uh, Gordo's mm -hmm. long scythe, like uh, Urien's long legs in Street Fighter, like Elfelt's long bouquet of flowers or guns in Guilty Gear, with very, very grimy mix up potential. So, uh, Elfelt, she drops grenades on you and shoots you with a shotgun a bunch. Urien had some really nasty. Uh, uh, side switch stuff and uh he just like uh, he had these uh powerful mirror things that he could bounce you off of and confuse you as to which side he was on stuff like that whether he was going to throw you and such uh, and gordo as mentioned has this uh, sort of inexplicable command throw mix-up game so uh yeah i didn't know this but apparently i like characters with uh powerful neutral but uh equally powerful uh close range setup games and i guess sort of not great uh not great at dealing with pressure usually i think on like the aesthetic level i usually end up in like picking the character who's like 
the protagonist of a high school anime. Yeah, yeah. The kind of girl who would be running out with a piece of toast. <laughs> yeah, like like Akatsuki, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Akatsuki running from his Imperial Japanese <laughs> school with a piece of toast in his mouth. Hell yeah. Bumping into... <laughs> bumping into some boy on the way there no yeah no like sakura i play yeah, sakura cool. or asuka in tekken i end up picking those like energetic characters yeah yeah um who somehow have some rival which with the rich girl of the cast hell yeah gotta have it gotta have it that, that's the that's the running thing for me yeah i guess so uh, as for the or rashid yeah you know rashid. he's cool i can picture rashid like picking... running out of school with toast in his mouth definitely yeah, I like picking those. Uh, I like picking characters who have my same nationality. He's not a he's not a cute girl, but he has cute girl energy. Yeah, you know, Rashid's Arab. I like picking the Arab characters. Oh, yeah. Sometimes there's Filipino characters, like in Soul Calibur or uh, Tekken. Sometimes I like picking. Gotta those get the too. representation, baby. You know. Yeah, that's the cool thing about fighting games, right? You can find your nationality. Some, sometimes they're a slightly offensive caricature, but you can find your nationality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can find some representation, yeah. even if it's not great. So, uh, as, as for the second half of this question, how generalizable do you find the skills of playing character archetypes across games? Uh, fighting games have a huge, like, wealth of transferable skill, and you can mm. stratify it by archetype. Like, if you, like, are... Uh, if you feel like you're experienced or enjoy playing zoning characters in some games, that skill of keeping people out and like giving up enough space to stay comfortable as a zoner, that's the kind of thing that will transfer. Equally, if you're good at reading your opponent on defense, if you're like a mix-up heavy character, that kind of thing will transfer. But like ultimately, mm -hmm. the main thing that will transfer is uh, like the universal skill of managing your opponent as they sort of move around near your attacks the length of your attacks right once you understand intimately mm -hmm. how far your attacks go you will be able to like ultimately then you're just doing the same thing regardless of what game you're playing right yeah it's basically uh, fighting games like a lot of games are about space yes. control that's like one of the big things about video games but fighting games do it in a very much more limited space that both people are vying mm -hmm. for and once you kind of understand how do I take space, what do I do in certain situations yeah. to to keep my control of space, you can kind of be like, okay, so I always need an anti-air. What's this character's Yeah, anti exactly. I need a move that'll hit in front of me, but will be safe if I miss yeah. what it. Can I, what can I throw so out this when my opponent is a decent distance away at, with low commitment, you know? What can I, what can yeah, I, what's fast like that. that I can mash at a short range if I suspect my opponent is uh, not tight with their pressure, that kind of thing. Yeah, what can I use if my opponent misses a big button? Yeah, exactly. And so that I can capitalize on their mistake. Exactly. Things like that. Once you kind of understand those general ideas, um, you can find what tools each character has, and then you can be like, okay, so now I know what this character's tools are. How do I apply them to, you know, take control of the space? Mm. That's the thing that is very abstract and weird. Um, but once you kind of understand the kind of larger concept of it, you know, like you said, it's transferable across yeah. games. Fighting games is the same, basically. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> Until they get... some. Sometimes they get really weird. Yeah, so at their core, fighting games is the same. They've all got front-loaded nonsense you have to learn before you can play them. But ultimately, fighting games is the same. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. So uh, yep. next question, Echelon from the Admiral Mapping Discord says, "What is your favorite stage slash music combo for Unist?" This is a good question. Uh, I don't know what any of the music oh. is titled uh, okay, because okay, I cool. usually talk to somebody. I thought you were going to say you didn't, or, uh... like, you didn't know about the music because I was about to. I was about to throw hands. You're not allowed <laughs> to not know about the music. We can't be friends. No, I'm usually at locals or I'm talking yeah, to somebody yeah, yeah. online, so I don't get we, to we hear fucking... it a lot. I like the one that was like piano intro or whatever. That's uh, Linnae's, right? The piano music. Oh. I'll put that in. I think so. The dramatic piano music. It's pretty good. And I really like the old school building with uh, all the cherry yeah, blossoms. The cherry blossom is very good. It's weed. a great pick. It's a great pick. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm big that's, weed. I mean, you know, anime fighting game. I think that's allowed. Uh, <laughs> I'll allow it, the judge said. So, this is a point. I was going to make this point. I forgot to make this point about the stages when we were uh, talking about the aesthetic of the game. But, like... Because of the the narrative conceit of Undernight, that it's you know it's, uh, some supernatural things are happening at night in and around a high school, the uh, the aesthetic for Undernight stages is very much disused metropolitan area. Like there were maybe some mm-hmm. people here sort of four or five hours ago, but now there is very much nobody here, and you sort of the the overwhelming theme is that there they like there is the signs of bustle, the signs of uh, civilization, but not anymore because they're gone and I guess the voids are here now. So like there's the old school building, there's variously like broken fountain areas. Industrial. Yeah, industrial yeah. area. Empty cafeteria. Empty cafeterias, empty malls. Uh, so like it's a industrial parking yeah, lot. Industrial parking <laughs> lot. So like it is it is quite an industrial game, I guess, visually speaking. But I, I like that. It sort of it, it, it's fun. In, in, it's unusual. Yeah, but they they all they're all lit with like either like a moody yeah, darkness, yeah, yeah. like nighttime darkness, or like a weird almost uh twilight yeah. aesthetic that you know, right before the sun comes totally. up, blood red skies, things like that. Yeah. So So there's like a slight surrealist element to them. Kind of like you would find in like almost like a horror a Japanese horror movie mm, or something like yeah. that. Where it's like familiar locations with like that would be ostensibly mundane, but have some weird thing that's like a little bit off about them. Yeah. So like, and th- this is interesting, right? Because you could argue pretty convincingly that that aesthetic sort of clashes with a lot of the music because the music is quite. Mm-hmm. It can be moody. It can be sort of you know. Uh, it, it can be sort of the kind of score you would imagine for scary things are happening at the night time and people might die. But a lot of it is really like jubilant and fun. Like so, the Nana Say theme mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier is really, really good. And uh, you know, it, so it produces like a it produces an interesting effect when juxtaposed with the the sort of universal moodiness of these stages because it takes this uh, this you know sort of menacing vignette and it sort of makes it funny, I guess, in a way that actually works really well. Like it's sort of it's 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 sort of you know if you're thinking about how scary it is that there's this sort of uh, these these public places with these signs of life and how there aren't any people there anymore, then this music serves to sort of counterpoint that and say it's kind of funny that we're you know we're worried about this. Yeah, it's it's more spooky than scary. yeah, right, exactly. And uh, so you know, it's like that horror flavor, slight horror flavor to you know what is a little bit more lighthearted in tone as terms of like you know, the yeah, actions exactly. and events that are happening. So like uh, like with characters, choosing a favorite track 
of music track for this game is uh, like choosing between my children. Oh, I forgot to mention favorite. My favorite <laughs> stage is uh, the the waterfront. I like the waterfront a lot. But uh, mm -hmm. if I couldn't pick the cherry blossom, the cherry blossom is very good. But uh, if you put a gun to my head and forced me to pick music tracks, I would say that my favorite is Hyde's theme, which I believe is Scraper Sky High, which is very... <laughs> they all have they really have good, good names. names. Uh, Mika's theme, which is called Mighty Stride, uh, and has a, uh, has, a, has a brief aside, which is a... Eurobeat version of Papabell's Canon, which is like, thank you, thank you, God, for this existing. Holy shit, it's so good. Oh, uh, yeah, some of those tracks are incredible. And then uh, I guess a tie between the aforementioned uh, Nanase's theme and. What was the other one I was going to say? Oh, well, Nanase's theme is third. That's, that's they're just, it's all very good. It's very good music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever you play, it's gonna get yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, when that when that uh, versus screen disappears, the music will be there, ready for you to leap into action. Oh, uh, Gordo's theme—that's the other one I was gonna say. Gordo's theme is like very sort of uh, self-serious, like uh, guitar rock music, but it sounds very good. Because okay. Gordo okay. is a is a is a goofball. It, it, it fits that he would have a huge goofy theme, so. So from Resi, what made you get into Unist, and what was your big, biggest hurdle to get through to enjoy playing the game? So how did I get into Unist? I uh, I can't remember if, what if any of this I have mentioned on the show. So I played Street Fighter V for the first two seasons. I liked it a lot, but eventually it kind of lost my interest, and uh, I was looking at more anime games. I had bought Guilty Gear, but I absolutely did not get it. I thought I did until I... Uh, until a friend from my now locals showed me how the game actually worked, and I, I you know, I understand it now. I absolutely not before. Uh, and I was sort of looking around for other kinds of games to play. Dragon Ball Fighters was on the horizon. I was sure I would really like that. I didn't. It turned out. But uh, <laughs> me yeah. neither. Uh, unfortunately. Again, well, we'll, I'm sure we'll have an episode on that one. But uh, we'll, we'll unpack yeah, it. We'll unpack we'll it. Unpack it. But uh, and then I saw. I believe it was. Uh, Frosty Fausting's Melty Blood so and then someone mm -hmm. told me Melty Blood was free so I played a bunch of Melty Blood thought that was really fun and then you know typically around the time Melty Blood would be on at the anime brackets for these big majors Undermite was on and it was just it was starting to gain popularity Unist had just come out I think so I was watching a bunch of tournaments of that that looked really fun and then it came out on mm -hmm. PC at the end of November uh, in 2018, I think, and I got it then, yep. and it was good as hell. I, I've been playing it a lot ever since. And as for yep. the hurdles to get through to enjoy playing Undernight, so I, I guess I had this sort of decently large foundation having played a lot of Street Fighter V and a decent amount of Melty Blood, so like, I feel like I, I achieved a basic literacy in the game quite quickly, but for for, in terms of hurdles, I guess understanding how pressure worked is like was mm -hmm. is something I'm still sort of struggling with. Like there, there are definitely times where I would something would not work, and I would watch the I would watch it back and see like try and figure out why it didn't work. And the things that I saw would make me question if I even understood the game to begin with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a little weird because. The way you can cancel moves is exactly, different for the exactly, games. Right. So in uh, so things that you think 
when you see like a big hit, you're like, oh, okay, the pressure's yeah. done, right? No, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not because you can cancel it into like a, a lighter move that'll make it more yes. safe. And so things that you think normally would have like a big, you know, recovery time can be small. So you have to watch and find out, mm-hmm. you know, which one of their moves they've gone through already. Yes, exactly. So you have to pay attention in a different way. And then you just, it's a lot to wrap your head yeah. around. What about you, Alma? What got you into Undermine? Uh, so I really liked a lot of French Bread's previous games. Yeah, you played uh, Dengeki Bunko when it was newish, right? Yeah, I reviewed it. Ah, that that would, that would explain that. <laughs> you know, the the I run a very small site, and I'm amazed that people give us anything. <laughs> but you know, when it's like really weird niche fighting games with characters like almost nobody knows about. Mm, yeah. When you're like fighting with Kurito against like fucking Silvaria or whatever her name is from uh, Valkyria Chronicles in the Green Hill Zone, uh, <laughs> and people are rightfully like, "What the fuck is this game?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll let you review stuff like that <laughs> just because who's gonna pick it up otherwise. Um, so I like those weird Dojin fighting games, and French Bread makes a lot of them, and a lot of them have been very good. And they've made like a couple other games like Ragnarok Battle Offline, which is like a cool RPG beat em up thing. So I've liked previous of their games, and I really liked the way Dengeki Buko felt. Like it kind of surprised me mm. how um, good it felt. But like, and I, you know, I heard like about Undernight and stuff, but I think it really was the PC version coming out that made it more accessible to everybody. Because otherwise, like you could play it, but you know, you'd be paying like. 40 bucks for like a japanese version of the game well and like you wouldn't have a lot of people to play online and then the ps4 version kind of came out but not like a huge amount of people like there was like a yeah, there's always yeah. been like a there's small dedicated like community online community on the playstation network that's definitely true yeah so like that existed um but then like the pc version came out and then you know quickly the game kind of becomes kind of cheap hmm. so i was able to kind of get into it and then I feel like a lot of people started picking up Steam with the PC version and mm, yeah, it made yeah. it a little bit easier since um, with the new version of Undernight being out, a lot of uh, English resources and stuff either became translated from the Japanese ones or like new English resources started coming out, mm. which made it a lot easier. And then, you know, I just had people to play with all of a sudden. Yeah, the game has absolutely exploded since then, whether directly because of this English Steam release or just like coincident with it it has definitely exploded in popularity since then yeah so having like a having like a cool game that's a little bit less complex than most anime fighters and is you know cheaper to get into than like a 60 dollar big box release Mm. has made like a lot of people take a chance on it i think and yeah just finally being able to actually play it with people has been great um the big thing that i need to get through is like paying attention the whole time it's easy to kind of um go on autopilot with anime fighting games and like you know kind of do the same chain of moves uh into your whatever combo whenever you get a hit um which isn't exactly always the case in undernight especially the way that i drop combos yeah so uh a big thing for me is going to be like actually learning some consistent combos for different situations and learning to you know use those weird cancel routes and stuff to like uh actually apply them to correct situations instead of just mashing on a button 
So I think that's all the questions for today. So that brings us to the end of the very third episode of Hand to Hand, Heart to Heart. Yeah, Under Night's a great game. It's good. I love it. Play Under Night. <laughs> Damn. You know, if anything that we say again, if any anything we say in these podcasts catches your interest, or you just think the characters look cool or something like that, you know, yeah, take a chance. Um, yeah, totally. It's uh, it's been on sale a bunch recently. I don't know if it's on sale right now, but it goes on sale on the PSN and Steam pretty regularly. So mm-hmm. have, keep a lookout. Give it a try. It's real, yeah. real, real good. It's definitely just even just aesthetically kind of amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, my that's roommate played a lot of Undernight just to play the story and find out what was happening <laughs> with the weird characters. Oh, awesome. So, you know, it's it's worthwhile even if you just kind of want to muck around in it and, you know, not necessarily be very serious about competing, right? See, I, feel, I, didn't, I didn't do as much. Like, I didn't end up doing any reading about the story for this episode. I feel like we need to find a way to do, like, a... a undernight lore reasons yeah there's there is some really weird stuff mika's is like the whole thing is her trying to like get herself shipped to japan in yeah. like a crate or something the yeah. story is like just like a weird joke story in the middle of like the serious the but she ends up joining the fucking catholic knight army so <laughs> yeah <laughs> the thing with these anime games is like you're all there's always like some ridiculously overwrought story yeah. that you could get super deep into that's how you can tell that your game is good. So the story has, I think, five factions, mm-hmm. and only three of them have playable characters. <laughs> there, are, there are two whole factions that no, you like the people who don't read the story will not even know exist. Yep, it's mm-hmm. great. It's awesome. It's good. That's a well-developed game. <laughs> so yeah, play Undernight. Deep it's lore. definitely worth your time and might turn out to be your favorite game. Yeah, maybe. So for our next game. Um, we're going to be taking something a little bit different. We did a lot yes. of uh, 2D fighters, a lot of Street yeah, Fighter style Yeah, we've been, we've been games. 2D for three whole episodes, so it's yeah. time to go somewhere else. And you would think the natural conclusion of that would be, let's play a 3D fighting game. Nah. Yeah, right. this must be Tekken, right? No, we're not, we're not playing Tekken. We're going to play some fucking Bullet Hell, a real shooter yeah. fighting game hybrids. Hell yeah. So right now, the t- tentative plan is to play Senko Narand 2. Awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. So that's a weird combination of like virtual on mech action with 2D bullet hell um, mechanics where you basically become a bullet hell boss. You can shoot bullet hell boss patterns and then you can just become a bullet hell boss and <laughs> get a giant bigger mech form. And then force the other person to play bullet hell for, you know, a couple of seconds while you rain even more bullets than usual on them. Hell yeah. I've played that game briefly and I will look forward to revisiting it for the next episode. Yeah, it's going to be a weird one, but, you know, I think it's been a nice change of pace and kind of fits our show's theme of, you know, being into the broad spectrum of competitive games rather hell than... Yeah being one of those pedantic people who you know argues what exactly is a fighting game yep you know? everything's a fighting game everything's a fighting game hello Kid. so uh, sanrio world smash ball is the fighting yeah. game. I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to the sanrio world smash ball episode I'm looking that's forward gonna be to, awesome to catching the highlights of this weekend's ceo tournaments of beyblade 
<laughs> oh yeah, they ran Beyblade and Suyo Taku. Yes. Beyblade and Yu-Gi-Oh. Beyblade definitely has footsies. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, if you enjoyed hearing the answers to questions read out so much that you'd like to try asking us questions, either about life, about fighting games, or even questions about Senko no Rond 2, like what the hell is Senko no Rond 2, then you can find us at twitter.com slash Armour's Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, cigarettes, S-I-E-G-A-R-E-T-T-E-S. And curly, where can we find you? I briefly imagined that the podcast had its own Twitter, but it doesn't. Yeah, it does not have its own Twitter or an email. (laughs) So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash curl underscore E underscore brace. And you can find Hazel, who did our amazing theme song, at twitter.com slash twinklepox. You should go check her out. Her music's very good. Thank you for the theme. It's awesome. I'm going to play a bit of it again after the episode, just for fun. Yeah, go listen to some Twinkle Parks. Check, yeah. out, check out her band camp check out her she's done she's also done some very good youtube videos that i like hell yeah so uh go uh go throw on some twinkle parks go throw on a fighting game with some friends go play and we will see you next time and remember you better go fight some more <laughs>